Welcome to Staying the Course. Join us as we navigate the uncompromised Word of God with Pastor Brett Peterson. All right, so uh, most of you know that um, this past week's been hard. Uh, Russ was in the hospital. I think he's still in the hospital, and uh, but he's recovering. He's doing better from his surgery. Greg had two stents put in, and Greg, you're here. You're doing good. Hallelujah. Um, my good pastor friend, Dave, who is also a fire department chaplain with me, lost his son who was a youth pastor in Central Orange or something like that, and his wife was pregnant with her for their first child. She's going to deliver in a little bit. And then Bob and Angie lost their daughter, Hannah. She went home to be with the Lord, too. It's been a hard week. And all week I've been on my knees before God saying, how can I preach an encouraging message, uh, one that just fills us with life and love and goodness through this tremendous, tragic week that we've had? Bob and Angie called me this morning, and they're coming back from Arizona. Uh, Hannah left uh, uh, almost two-year-old little baby and uh, a 10-year-old son, Noah, who was in Arizona with his cousins, and Bob and Angie drove out there to tell him. Uh, he took the news okay. He eternalized it. Um, he, when they asked, he didn't cry. He just said, let me process this. You know, 10-year-old kid, you know, I, I need to process this. We need to pray for Noah and pray for this family. It's tragic. Uh, and by the way, she took that picture with the angel wings just a couple of weeks ago. She was doing really good. Um, and I just did Bob and Angie's son's funeral about four years ago. So they've lost two children now. So please lift Bob and Angie up in your prayers and surround them. By the way, they have been surrounded with your love. This church is the most loving church I've ever been a part of. Uh, I know it's we've been doing tailgate church outside, which was fun and all, but now we're back in, and it's time to start really doing real church again and, and being the body of Christ, amen? I mean, Telgate Church was good, but um, we've wept with them through their losses, and I couldn't just preach today. The grief was overwhelming. And in figuring out what God wanted me to preach, it was really how do we as Christians deal with tragedy in our lives? How do we deal with loss? How do we deal with when a loved one dies, especially a spouse or a child or a parent? What do we as Christians do differently than people of the world? You know, we shed tears because we're going to miss them, but we know that they are in heaven. And we know in the presence of the Lord there's fullness of joy, that we will see them one day again, which is comforting but we grieve our loss. Many of us are mourning Hannah's departure. We do not know what, uh, we do know that God holds us through our mourning. In fact, Matthew chapter 5, verse 4 says, Blessed are those who mourn, 
for they shall be comforted. I can assure you this, the ups and downs of life, the dark times as well as the beautiful times of light and love and joy, God is with you through everything you face in life's journey. He will never abandon you or leave you, even when you fail him and fall into sin. He is right there like the prodigal son's father saying, come home. I'm waiting for you. I have so much to give you. Psalm 34, 17 through 19 says, The righteous cry, and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Psalm 34, 19, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. I want you to know that we have a rock, we have a fortress, we have a sanctuary, and that is in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? We can run to him through whatever we face. In grief and in loss and challenges, we run to God for comfort and strength. You know, people of the world will run to uh, the bottle or run to drugs or run to illicit relationships or run to the movies or do anything to occupy their t mind. But wherever we are, we're never alone. God's spirit is with us to bring comfort and help. Psalm 119.28 says, my soul weeps because of grief. You know, David knew grief. He lost several children. In fact, one of his sons wanted to kill him to take uh, the throne. I mean, he had a horrible family when you look at it. David was acquainted with grief, and it says, My soul weeps because of grief. Strengthen me according to your word. Trials, loss, and challenges come, and it seems we go from being high on the mountain. You know, everything's going good in life. There's no problems, and everything's good, and all of a sudden we find ourselves in the valley of the shadow of death. Yeah, yeah, ever happened to you? You know, life is a roller coaster, but your emotions don't dictate how you can face the challenges of life. We have a faith in God that actually transforms our ashes into beauty. Do you know that? Have you seen God do that in your life? He takes our brokenness and our ashes and he transforms it to something beautiful. Oh, he makes it uh, in us a stream of living water. Through the ups and downs of, of life, God is with us, and Jesus knows what you are going through today. You know, all of us are facing one battle or another, or it could be you're in a season of respite. That's my favorite season. You know, there's no battle. Everything is going smooth. It's like, Oh, I love this season of my life. But we always have to prepare. Battle is coming. Another storm is going to come. Even though we're, everything's going good, something will be challenging. You know, they say in Orange County when they break a nail or something small, oh, the struggle's real. <laughs> you know, oh, our challenge are somewhat really not that big compared to others. Isaiah 53.3 says, speaking of Jesus, he was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. 
For we do not have a high priest, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, speaking of Jesus Christ, who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted or literally tested in all things, just like we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ, you might, may, maybe you've thought this, nobody knows what I'm going through. Jesus knows. He knows exactly what you're going through. He empathizes with you. He weeps for you. And the Holy Spirit intercedes for you. God never said we wouldn't suffer. You know, I wished once we were born again and became children of God that somehow we were protected from all the ugliness of the world around us. But we live, folks, in a fallen world, a world that's filled with disease and sickness and sick people that do horrible things. And we live, the Bible says, in enemy territory, and our citizenship is really where? In heaven. Hey, where those that we've lost are there, and that is where our citizenship is. And so we, the Bible says, are ambassadors of God's kingdom to a lost and hurting world that's filled with heartache and filled with sorrow. In fact, Romans chapter 8, verse 16 says, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. I love that. I love the song Scott picked out today. We're no longer slaves to fear. Oh, no. We're children of God. He loves you this morning. If you don't get anything else, God loves you, and he weeps when you weep. In fact, the Bible says when one sinner dies without coming to know him, he weeps. He grieves. Verse 17, and if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed, note this, we suffer with him, so that we may be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And that's when we finally get to go home to heaven. In this fallen world, we have battles. In fact, John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus said, the things I've spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world, you have tribulation, trials, despair, grief, difficult times. But take courage. I have overcome the world. How do we take courage when we're grieving? How do we deal with grief and suffering in the midst of battle? You know, in the Bible, all the great men and women in Scripture went through challenging times. They went through difficulties that we would can't even fathom going through. Paul's a great example. Notice what Paul went through, 2 Corinthians 11, 23 through 28. Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I more so, in far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews the 39 lashes, one short of death. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. And remember when he was stoned, he, he kind of in his spirit went to heaven. Do you remember that? 
He goes, I don't know if I was really there, dead, or if it was just a vision, but wow, it is inexpressibly beautiful. It is amazing. Three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I spent in the deep. He was shipwrecked in the ocean and had to tread water for a day and night. I have been on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from countrymen, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there is the daily pressures of me concerning the churches. We know where Paul ran for comfort. You know, and these tears, these are tears for Bob and Angie mainly, and, and my brother Dave, who lost their kids this week. Ah, um, oh man. But Paul went to God for comfort. 2 Corinthians 1.3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and I love this, the God of all comfort. You know, when I'm going through a trial or I'm facing a difficulty or a challenge or battle in life, I know I can get in my quiet, secret spot where it's just me and God. And His Holy Spirit, who's also called the Comforter, comes and soothes my soul and brings comfort and peace in the midst of whatever battle I may be facing. Note this, verse 4. The God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the same comfort with which we ourselves were comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. We don't grieve as the world grieves. In fact, Paul wrote this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep or passed away, so that you will not grieve as the rest who have no hope. We have faith, hope, and love. We pray for one another, First Tim, uh, Thessalonians 1, 2. We give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers. But to experience God's faith, hope, and love can be difficult in the midst of a battle or challenge. Whatever difficulty you're facing, sometimes it's hard to have faith, hope, and love. In fact, sometimes we point our finger at God and say, why did this happen? But God, you know what he does? I understand how you feel. And he says back, why did this have to happen? 1 Thessalonians 1.3, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith. You know, sometimes faith takes work. You know, oftentimes we say, well, faith is the opposite of work because some people, legalists, say, okay, in order to, for God to love you, you have to do this, 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 and this, and you can't ever do this, 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 and this. And if you do, oh, God is going to damn you to hell, and oh, man, you're, 
it's not about works to be saved. We know we're saved through what? Simple faith. That, that's not a work. That's receiving a free gift. But sometimes it's hard to receive that gift. Sometimes in the midst of battle or the midst of loss, sometimes it's hard to receive God's peace. We want to have our self-pity. We want to be angry, and we don't want the peace of God at that time. That labor or that work of faith, sometimes it takes work. Note this, that labor of love. Boy, real love sometimes is laborious. You know, sometimes you have the emotion of love and other times you decide, I'm going to love you. Even though I don't like you right now, I'm going to love you anyway. That labor of love and that steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of God the Father. God put on my heart this morning the 23rd Psalm and we have 15 minutes to get through it. Luckily, it's short. We may have to skip some slides. This psalm is one of the most quoted and read scriptures in the world. I do a lot of funerals, and I always, the the family, even atheists, say, could you read the 23rd Psalm at the graveside? You know, they they don't believe in God, but they, they love the 23rd Psalm. It's on plaques all over the world. It's probably the most quoted verse in the world. It's read almost every funeral by soldiers and first responders before they go out. You know, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you're with me. Oh, you're going to hold me through this. It is packed full of comfort for God's children. So we're just going to unpack this. You know, David uh, was acquainted with grief, and he wrote this psalm as well. The 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You've anointed my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Oh, surely goodness and mercy or loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, the Lord is my shepherd. That is profound. You know, David was a shepherd. Remember that? You know, before he was appointed king, he was just the the youngest kid in his father's household. And the the prophet wanted to anoint one of his brothers king, but oh no, God said, no, it's that little shepherd boy, the one out watching sheep. The Bible records that David, as that young kid, killed a bear who was coming after the sheep, killed a lion. I mean, David risked his life to guard those sheep. David knows what it is to be a shepherd. He lived, ate, and drank protecting, caring for, and loving those sheep. Back when I was in high school, we rode dirt bikes a lot, and we would ride up to this one hill where there was a Basque shepherd. Barely spoke English, but it's true. He would call, and the whole flock 
would look to him and they would follow him wherever he went. And if one wandered off, he would make sure his dogs were guarding the flock and he would go find that lost sheep. You know, that's what God does for us. He pursues us. Even when we are far from him, he is pursuing us because he loves us. He loves us more than you could ever know. Shepherds provided for, protected, and cared for their sheep with their very lives, and Jesus is our shepherd. In fact, John chapter 10, verse 10, the thief comes, Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He doesn't steal your money. He steals your joy, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Because if he can steal that, he knows you're going to run to something else to get some fleeting happiness or some fleeting comfort. That Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He tries to kill our relationships, first of all with God, then with our family, then with our friends, and ultimately he wants to destroy us. Every suicide that ever happens is a result of the work of Satan. It's someone who was so gripped. Oh, and you can be born again and still get so gripped with the cares of this life. But I came, oh, Jesus said that you might have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. Jesus loves you and holds you through every pain you might be experiencing. I love this. This is a prophecy about Jesus, the Messiah. Isaiah 40, verse 11. Like a shepherd, he will tend his flock. In his arm, he will gather the lambs and carry them in his bosom. He will gently lead the nursing ewes. Oh, we don't have a God that's this mean tyrant up there. We have a God that loves you has compassion on you, and we already read it in Hebrews chapter 4. Jesus was tested in everything just like you. He understands what you go through. I shall not want or I shall not lack gain. I love this. All our needs are met through Christ. In fact, the Bible says in Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all your needs will be met. All these things will be added unto you. So do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Do you think Jesus experienced trouble? Absolutely. He was tested in all things just like us. All right, the next phrase of the 23rd Psalm, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. What's interesting about that verse? Notice it doesn't say he lets me lie down in green pastures. He makes you. God does not make you do all this work to receive his blessings and his love, but he does want you to rest. Does that make sense? We are so busy in life 
that it is God. That's why the Sabbath, every Saturday, God said, this is a day of rest. All the other days you can work, but on the Shabbat, on the Sabbath, oh, I want you to rest and just enjoy me. Oh, and enjoy your family. Take a day of rest. He makes us lie down. Many of us drive ourselves so hard we become weary. You know, I don't know about you, but I am constantly busy. Constantly. I have to make myself rest. Ask Cheryl. She'll tell you. Even on vacation, I'm pulling out my computer starting to work, and she goes, "Uh, uh-uh. <laughs> you know. Notice it says, well, he makes us rest. I already talked about that. Oh, is that it? Oh, no, I wanted to show you this. I love that this picture, right? He makes us lie down in green pastures. Oh, I just love that. And the still waters. And uh, we, we, I used to be a backpacker. Ooh, we've got eight minutes. i got to hurry. Never mind that story. Jesus gives us rest in lush pastures. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, note this, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will make you work and make you do all this stuff. No, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He leads me beside quiet waters. Literally, the word is quiet in the Greek, but I just love, I, I, I know this in King James so much, I like still waters. You know, you go to Europe, they have still water you can drink, or what's the other one called? Do they call it sparkling? Babbling? Bubbling? <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, Jesus does that as our shepherd. Revelation seven seventeen. For the Lamb, speaking of Christ, in the center of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of the water of life, and God will wipe every tear from their eye. You know, living water, this church, remember Jesus said, hey, he who thirsts, let him come to me and drink, and out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. I love that. Refreshment to us and all those around. But when we grieve, we're soul sick. Have you ever heard that phrase? It's like the dark night of the soul. It sometimes rocks us to our core. Psalm 23.3, ah, he restores my soul. If you ever fall away from the narrow path, if you ever fall into sin and and the enemy says, you've sinned one too many times. Don't go to church, don't pray, don't read the Bible because God doesn't love you, he's going to punish you. No. No matter how often we fall into sin, God restores our soul, amen? Psalm 51.9, it says, Hide your face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. And do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And sustain me with a willing spirit. You see, that's what God does. Oh, God is close to the brokenhearted. God is close 
to those who are grieving or having difficulties. And he gives strength to the weary, Isaiah 40, 28. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary. And to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait on the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not grow faint or weary. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He guides us through life's journey. You know, I encourage you, if you have decisions to make, maybe a new job or where you're going to live or a spouse or a boyfriend or a girlfriend or, or whatever the decision is, say, God, what's your will for my life? What choice do you want me to make? And God will guide you and give you sound wisdom and then when you make that decision and a battle comes, you won't second guess it. I prayed and I really felt the peace of God that this was the right decision. So even though this battle came in this course that I'm on, ah, I know I'm in the center of God's will and he's going to hold me, sustain me, and comfort me through this trial. He guides us on life's journey and keeps us on the narrow path that leads back to righteousness. The next stanza of the 23rd Psalm, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You know, at times we are all going to see a friend or a loved one die. It's hard. When a loved one passes or we ourselves are facing a terminal disease. God is with us and gives us peace. Luke 178 says, Because of the tender mercy of our God, with which the sunrise from on high will visit us to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the way of peace. You know, if there's one thing this world needs, it's peace. You know, peace is the most amazing thing. Because when you have peace, even in the midst of crazy trials and circumstances, if you have peace, you're just like, ah, I know God's got this, and I'm going to be okay. I know he's going to hold me and carry me through this. The peace of God, Philippians chapter 4, it says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God that transcends understanding will guard your heart, your emotions, and your mind, your thoughts in Christ Jesus. Jesus is the Prince of Peace, and he said this in John 14, 27, peace I leave with you. Oh, my peace I give you, not as the world gives, give I unto you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. And that leads us to the next stanza, I fear no evil. Whatever challenge or battle you're in, you don't have to fear. God will go before you and be your rear guard, Isaiah 43, 1. But now, thus says the Lord, your creator, do not fear. 
By the way, that command is repeated more than any other command in Scripture. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Through the rivers, they will not overflow you. And when you walk through the fire, the challenges, the battles, the loss of this life, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Since you are precious in my sight, since you are honored and I love you. Think about that, that God honors you. For you are with me. Jesus is always with us. He'll never leave us or forsake us. In fact, Jesus said, I'm with you always, even till the end of the age. And Isaiah 41.10 says, do not fear. I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you. For I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you in my righteous right hand. Your rod and thy staff, they comfort me. It's time. Can we go two minutes over? Everybody okay with that? Okay, here we go. <laughs> Three, four minutes. Okay. But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. See, the rod and the staff of a shepherd was not only the staff, that, if it had the curve, to pull a sheep who was about to fall off a cliff, right? Because sheep sometimes wander. You know, they just wander off, and it's to pull them back, not to hit the sheep, but they were to protect the sheep from the enemy. The wolves or the coyotes or whatever bear, tiger, whatever it was that was going to kill them. It was for their protection. God fights for you. God fights for you. In fact, Zechariah says, oh, he's a mighty warrior. And he stands over you with love and songs. Okay, the next one. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I love that. You know, God, you know, he's the host. Have you ever had to set a table for a Thanksgiving meal or prepare a Thanksgiving meal? It's a lot of work. Well, God is going to prepare a table for us. Wow. In the presence of our enemies. I love that even when the battle rages around us, God makes us feast and prepares a wonderful fellowship with him meal to relax in the midst of battle. God guards us and keeps us safe even in the presence of our enemies, even though our enemies, do you have enemies? I think we all have some enemies. They want to see us fail. You know, whoever they are, a coworker or whatever, they're like, oh, I'm so jealous of that person. I hope they fail. You know, or whatever it is. In the, in the midst of that, if you're seeking God first, he is going to bless you. He is going to pour forth the windows of heaven of blessings and abundance. And in the presence, God will bless you. And they will see the blessing of God. And he makes a wonderful table for us to feast at. I love this. In the millennial reign where we reign with Christ, Jesus is going to do this. Isaiah 25, 6. The Lord of hosts will prepare a lavish banquet for all peoples on this mountain, a banquet of aged wine, of choice pieces with marrow and refined aged wine. Wow. 
someday we're going to sit at God's banqueting table. I love that. Goes on to say his banner over me is love, right? You've anointed my head with oil. Now, the priests back then, they would literally, when the priest was anointed for service, pour oil on their head. And that's kind of interesting. 1 Corinthians one twenty says, now I'm skipping that because I have to hurry. To anoint one's head in biblical times was significant. This was used to consecrate and ordain priests, prophets, and kings. I love that. And brides, by the way. And bridegrooms. First Kings 19.16 says, And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint king over Israel, and Elisha you shall anoint as a prophet in your place. This is used by the church to pray for the sick. James 5.14, if anyone among you is sick, then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And we have seen healing. We've seen God do miraculous things. Anointing is symbolic of the Holy Spirit coming on them to help them or heal them, to give them authority for their calling. Anointing your head with oil was also a phrase for getting cleaned up for a wedding feast or some big extravagant event. You would get cleaned up, put on your best clothes, and anoint your head with oil. Different than the anointing uh, of the office. And by the way, the oil smelt good. It was a sweet fragrance. And it was preparing the bride for a wedding. In Esther chapter 2, verse 12, Now when the turn of each young lady had come to go... uh, into King Asherus after the end of the 12 months under the regulations for women for the days of beautification were completed as follows. Six months with oil of myrrh that smelled really good, anointing with oil, and six months with spices and cosmetics for the women. They wore cosmetics way back then. Did you know that? And the church is the bride of Christ, Revelation 19.7. Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. And it was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean. And the fine linen are the righteous acts of the saints. We're almost done. My cup runneth over. Jesus loves you. Your cups runneth over. Ephesians 3.19, And to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus for all generations. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Do you know that God turns mourning into dancing? Psalm 30, you have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosened my sackcloth and girded me with gladness that my soul may sing praise to you and not be silent. O Lord God, I give thanks to you forever. His mercy or loving kindness is new every morning. In fact, in Lamentations, you know this, his mercies or loving kindness are new every day, and it ends with, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, every believer, when they pass, immediately are in the presence of God, in heaven where there's fullness of joy. 
And that is why we don't mourn like the world mourns. Hannah's in heaven right now. She's rejoicing. She's reunited with her brother who preceded her. There'll be no more grieving in heaven, Revelation 21.1. Why don't we stand? Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and first earth passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, God's house, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe every tear from their eye, and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain, for the first things have passed away. I look forward to that time. For now, we have seasons of mourning. Ecclesiastes said there's a time to laugh and a time to mourn. God loves you this morning. When you weep, I can assure you, he weeps with you. And his spirit is with you right now to bring comfort, to bring everything that you need in life's journey. God is with you. He loves you more than you could ever know. And restores my soul, satisfies my Thank you for listening to Staying the Course with Pastor Brett Peterson. If you would like a copy of this message or would like to submit a prayer request or comment, contact us at 949-888-5777 or email us at info at ccbcu.edu. God bless you as you seek and serve him. Remember, stay the course, and we'll see you next week. I love